if knowledge is a brick wall, you're building a wall where you have to be perfectly comfortable that there are bricks missing all over the place and you're just going to come in and fill them in later. And so this idea of like, you have this big daunting task, but you're like, I'll just chip away at it. That's just the way I've kind of been trained my whole life. And the idea of business it never, never scared me. And so I think I was just wired for it. Emily Abadi here coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to episode 177 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today, I am talking with Ali Arady. He is the CEO and founder of Tonal. To say that this man is brilliant, <laughs> it kind of feels like a little bit of an understatement. I mean, Ali graduated high school at 15, college at 19, and then started working at a series of tech companies, including Hewlett Packard and computer startup Panologic. And at this time, physical fitness was the last thing on his priority list. On the morning after Christmas in 2013, it hit him like a ton of bricks. I need to make a change. I need to get healthier. And so in today's episode, he details that hurdle moment, which led him to losing 70 pounds and creating Tonal. Of course, we get into all of the Tonal specifics today from what it is, how it's evolved and how it works. Plus, we talk about what's to come for the company in the future. Tonal recently announced that they would be debuting live classes in the coming months. Let me tell you, the day before Ali and I sat down to record this IRL in the studio, which was a joy, <laughs> I, uh, I stopped into their new showroom on Fifth Avenue here in New York, and I was absolutely blown away. My dad recently got a tonal himself. I am so amped to get in on this. And basically, long story short, I am team tonal. Before we get to it, I do want to give some love to those of you that have already signed up for the Hurdle membership. I am so stoked on it and programming is kicking off October 1st. To get in, to learn more about what the membership has to offer you, including exclusive member forums, member events, unreleased episodes of the show, journal prompts, and so much more, text the word membership to 732 hurdler. Again, that is text the word membership to 732 hurdler to hear more about all of the goodies that you can get if you get in on the hurdle membership today. Other than that, make sure you're following along with hurdle over on socials. It's at hurdle podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Ali Aradi. He is the founder of Tonal. Welcome to the Hurdle Studio. So excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. And in person. In person. I feel like a part of my soul ignites with excitement at this 
opportunity to look at you IRL while we record. I love it. I love it. I love it too. So like I said, founder of Tonal, before we get into your backstory, which we have a lot of things in common to rap about, why don't you give the hurdlers some insight into what Tonal is? Well, Tonal has been described as the world's smartest home gym. And those aren't our words. That's what Men's Health Magazine said about us. We've won tons and tons of product awards. Um, but basically what it is, is it's a digital weight machine for your home. Um, like one machine that replaces every machine in the gym and a personal trainer built in. Uh, so we use AI and personalization and coaches on screen to guide you through strength training workouts uh, in a compact digital weight machine that can do every body group, everything from like legs to upper body to back to core. Um, and it's just like having a personal trainer and an entire weight room. Uh, but in something about the size of a TV with um, with a cable system built into it. I love that you said something about the size of a TV because I wouldn't think to compare the tonal size to the TV because it is quite slender. But the exception would be obviously when you adjust and move around the weights, the machine itself could take up a little bit more space or you would need a little bit more space to use it. Yeah, when, when it's folded up, uh, it looks about the size of a 42-inch TV, like mounted sideways. Sideways. Uh, but then when you're ready to work out, these like arms pop out with cables that produce up to 200 pounds of digital resistance. Uh, and as long as you have a little bit of floor space in front of the tonal to work out, you can you can do like almost 200 different moves on the tonal <laughs> and coaches who guide you through it. And uh, it will kick your butt. Like, we have <laughs> professional athletes who use tonal to train. I uh, love to hear it. The thing that is so different about Tonal, which you touched on, is the fact that there's weight within the machine. I mean, over the last, you know, 16, 18, 20 months now in this pandemic, we have all been forced, so to speak, to take our fitness inside. And what Tonal offers that a lot of alternatives do not is the fact that it's both training and a product to actually use. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the coaching. And, and I mean, one, one thing, one really important thing to, to realize about the way we did this relative to everyone else in the connected fitness sector is everyone else kind of went into it trying to bring some sort of a group fitness experience into the home. And that was never our goal. Our goal was to try and replicate a personal trainer. Hmm. And so what we do is very, very personalized. So you're running through a strength training routine, but uh, the pacing adapts to you. In fact, our videos aren't pre-edited, like the videos with our coaches. They're not pre-edited. They're actually being edited for you as you work out. The pacing is adapting to you. You're getting personalized instruction. We're choosing how much weight you should do for every exercise. We're deciding when that weight should go up or down. Um, and so it's, 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 it's much different than I think what a lot of people are used to when they think of like, oh, I'm going to do an exercise routine off of YouTube or off one of these mobile apps or, um, this is, you know, it's, it's just, it's just another level. Yeah. And I, uh, I stopped by the new showroom yesterday on fifth Avenue to check out the machine. And what I found to be so interesting about this is the, what you're touching on here, the adjustments that it made for me. Like, I think the original test that I did on the tonal was like a 10 rep of a bicep curl. And it like counted my reps as I went and it adjusted the weight to like match what my struggle was at the moment. And that's just not something you get when you're standing in the middle of a gym by yourself trying to lift a couple of dumbbells. Yeah. And that was, I mean, what, what you're really hitting on was, was the core, the core invention. Uh, of this digital weight, this digital resistance engine that we created. So, you know, normally when you're lifting weights, you know, you're fighting gravity and tonal doesn't run on gravity. It runs on electricity mm. uh, and that resistance that you feel it's responsive, it's, it's dynamic, it's intelligent. So it's the first time you had um, any sort of a weight machine that was digital that can like literally measure what you were doing. Um, like 
up until this point, most of the data we, we have on strength training was collected using clipboards. Um, and this is the first time you can really measure it with this like level of fidelity and know how someone is doing through the range of motion, um, give them feedback on their form, decide if they're struggling too much, spot them in real time. Um, and, and that resistance is responsive to you. So we, we literally like everything you do on tonal other, like you start out with a strength test and we know how strong you are, but from that point forward, everything you do is a little mini test. Yeah. And we're finding us like, you know, um, is Emily getting stronger? Um, it, did she not sleep enough yesterday and she needs a little bit of extra help today with a spotter? <laughs> All of this stuff. Um, it's responding to you just like a personal trainer would and, and it drives real results. Yeah, I'm sure if I used a tonal today, it would tell me or it would sense the three old fashions that I decided <laughs> that I decided to drink last night. My whoop recovery score wasn't exactly pleased with me today. But what I'm really excited to talk to you about today, aside from, you know, the innovation that's coming with tonal is to get to know a little bit more about you. You and I have something in common that we both went through a dramatic weight loss period. But talk to me about where your story really originated and when you decided that you needed to make a change in your life? Well, I'd say I'd say the story originated right after I graduated college and went into the technology sector. So and by the way, like I was a techie my entire life. I was like the seven. I was the chubby seven year old kid with glasses. who could code like that stereotype, whatever stereotype you're thinking of. That was literally literally me. Um, you know, I was very, very academic. I graduated from high school when I was 15, college when I was 19. Uh, I moved to Silicon Valley, uh, start my career in supercomputing, um, designing supercomputers and telecom gear and like what's called big heavy iron in the sector. Basically things you move around with forklifts. Uh, before Tonal, I never designed anything I could lift myself or anything that ran on just one power cord. Like that was like typical. And so, you know, I'm doing that for like 15 years and and at some point I wake up and like my health is a total disaster. I have type 2 diabetes, I have sleep apnea. Uh, I'm overweight and and I kind of had this like moment where I woke up one morning and I'm just like, this is headed to a point of no return. And if I don't do something about it, um, I'm never going to fix it. And I also realized that I'm successful. I've always been successful at my full time job, whatever that means. And so I'm just going to make this my full time job. And I quit my job and I focused on my health and lost 70 pounds in nine months. Uh, and that that ultimately led me to Tonal, which is like a passion project for me to be able to like do technology and fitness and strength training all at the same time um, and change people's lives. It's just, it's been, it's been amazing. So many things to double click on. The first thing that we definitely need to double click on is you being a child prodigy, which is just insane. Uh, in that experience for you, what was it like to be younger than most of your peers as you were kind of walking around and going through your education process? Uh. I've never talked about this. Honestly, it was a little bit. It was a little bit scary. Yeah. I mean, I think in high school, like that really, like I didn't really care much because I never really fit in anyways, and mm. so like it was like whatever. Um, but I think by the time I got to college, uh, I literally just kept the fact that I was younger a secret. I just didn't tell anyone. I, like for huh. four years, I just didn't tell anyone how old I was. You had to look younger than everybody else. Yeah, I know that was me being naive. So I, I literally, I remember, I remember like, you know, sitting down with my best friend. Like maybe in like our senior year, we're about to graduate, and I'm like, dude, you don't know this about me, but like I'm like way younger than you. Uh, and he's like, Ali, we kind of figured because you like grew two inches over the summer <laughs> after your freshman year, and I'm like, but they never said anything. Um, and, and so like I was, it was uncomfortable. I thought like I thought for all sorts of reasons, I figured that that they would they wouldn't love it, but uh, it turned out not to matter, and it's just not mattered my whole life. Like I got to I got to Hewlett Packard. Uh, my first job out of college, you know, supercomputing lab and 
like I'm 19 years old and like I'm like the interns around me are drinking and I'm like not legal drinking age yet. Well, wait, (laughs) now that I was going to like call you out for your social situation in college, but like, what were you doing when all of your friends were like, let's go to the bar and you were like, I'm going to study. Uh, I'm just like, I don't drink. (laughs) Oh, fair, fair. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Wow. Okay. So then you get to all of these big jobs. It's so, did you think when you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to have these types of roles when you were going through college and everything? Well, I always like, I've always loved technology and computing and like the idea of being in a supercomputing lab was like a dream job for me. Like imagine like you're 19 years old, you're standing in like the premier supercomputing lab in the world. Um, like these are the, like, these are the types of supercomputers you like sell to the IRS, like kind of a deal. Like these are <laughs> big, massive systems, like the size of like eight refrigerators strung together with cables. Like, I think that one had like 16 or 24 power cords. I don't remember, but like just massive, massive computers. That's like a dream job standing in a, I don't know, a quarter million dollar lab full of all of this equipment. And if at that moment in time, you're like, Hey Ali, one day you're going to be the CEO of the fastest growing fitness company in the world. I probably would have fallen out of my chair laughing. Uh, <laughs> but Ah, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And then, I mean, obviously, you totally glazed over the weight loss situation because as someone who also lost 70 pounds in college myself, I know that it's not something that happens overnight. And so the next natural question is, how did that play out for you? Where did it start? What changed? Well, I mean, I think there's there's the, the losing 70 pounds in nine months part, but I think it's also important to realize that for like if you've been over, if like when I was overweight and I'm sure everyone who's over, you struggle with this your whole life. Yeah. Like this wasn't the first attempt to lose, to lose weight. And I kind of had tried things along the way and I had like little, little successes. And then of course, like there's a lot of the yo-yoing and the bouncing back. And, um, and so for me, the, the first thing was realize like I already knew some things that weren't going to work and I already knew some things that were going to work a little bit, but trying to, you know, but, but making it my full-time job. And, and basically saying like, I'm going to just be super, super dedicated, super committed, super consistent. Um, and that's, that's what, what really I think unlocked it for me in the beginning. Was there a certain hurdle moment or tipping point that you were just like, I can't be like this anymore? Yeah, I, I still, I still remember the moment. It was, I woke up the morning after Christmas and I don't know why, but I was just laying in bed and I'd built a startup and sold it to, sold it to Samsung. And I, I just got enough a year of really, really heavy travel. I think like it's always around that part part of like part of the year that you're reflecting on the year ahead and the idea of like spending one week in Korea every single month for another year um, and, and just what that was doing to my health and my body and just the way I was feeling. I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And then I also realized like, yeah, I've struggled a lot with with my weight, um, but full time jobs I've succeeded at part time jobs not so much. So I'm just Hmm. going to make it my full-time job. Interesting. And you had the means to do this because you had saved up a lot of money from selling this company and you knew that you could comfortably take off this amount of time to give back to yourself so that you could then give back to your career and get back involved. And at the time I was also single and I didn't have children. And like, I think a lot of, a lot of the things in life that like keep people, you know, super tied to, to their jobs and their income streams. Um, like, you know, at, at that point, I was I was single. I didn't have very many responsibilities. I could pare down my costs. Like it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. Right. Um. Today, I have you know I have, a, you know, a kid, another one on the way, and like, mm-hmm. uh, kids cost money. And like, can I quit my job? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. Would be responsible. So so I think like there there's that phase of phase of life thing. But when I when I did it, I also I also just like set up routine. I'm like I made like I'm going to 
eat healthy. I like made a list of ingredients. I made it a challenge for myself to like only eat these things, but like use my creativity to do whatever, whatever I would love. So I focused on what I would eat and then I focused on basically being active twice a day. So wait, what talk to us about the foods? So basically really, really light on meat medium on like things like fish. I love yogurt. I love eggs. Um, those are, those are things that have traditionally worked for me. Um, yogurt, the probiotics, eggs, like eggs are like a miracle, right? And like, think about this, an entire chicken comes out of an egg, right? The egg literally has all the ingredients of life. Like it has to, an entire chicken comes out of it. So, (laughs) so like, I'm like, okay, I love eggs. I love, you know, and so like I had, I had, you know, generally speaking, like I basically said, I'm going to avoid, um, all refined foods. I'm going to avoid sugar. I'm going to avoid flour. Um, I couldn't say I'm never eating sugar or flour because the second I eat, I say never, right. then like two weeks later, you've fallen off the wagon. But you say, I'm just going to avoid them. And you know that you always have the option of doing it. And for some reason, you can go 12 months without touching sugar or flour. It's like, so a lot of it was understanding my psychology and like, and, and figuring this out. And then there was the whole fitness piece. Right? Yeah, let's and talk I, about that. I would go to the gym and I would like, in the early days, I'd hop on an elliptical or a bike, or I would just try to do something like twice a day. Um, usually once at the gym, usually once outside the gym. Mm-hmm. And that worked for like three weeks and then I plateaued. Right? Mm. And this is like the really frustrating thing for people on this journey. And I plateaued and I remember I remember being like, I think it was on a bike or an elliptical or something, but being in the cardio section, I was looking over and like all the personal trainers were over in the weight room. And I'm like, why are all the experts over there and why am I over here? Right? That was like the first like, you know, moment of like, okay, there's something wrong here. And strength training is hard. Like it's intimidating. The first time you walk into a weight room, you don't really know what you're doing. Like maybe you've been in there to do the obligatory bicep curl or bench press from time to time, but you don't really know what you're doing. There's all these big dudes around you, um, you know, and and you gotta you gotta figure it out on your own. And 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 I and I had to. I was I like I did a lot of reading. I watched a lot of YouTube, and I like figured out how to strengthen. But it wasn't it wasn't exactly obvious. Uh, and it took many, many months, but I eventually like figured out how to do it and lost weight and, and stuck with it. And it became like the pillar of my routine. And so I think of like strength training as the main thing that I do and then everything else supports it. So interesting. Exactly how personal trainers train people. Yeah. Right. And that's the beauty of it. But for the average person, um, who doesn't know that or doesn't know what to do in there, it's just intimidating and, and they don't, they don't do it. At the time, did you think about hiring a coach? Well, remember that whole thing about being unemployed? Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about this. I'm, I'm, that question isn't, uh, isn't, did you have the means to hire a coach? Was, but did you get to a point in all of your research and everything where you just started to feel really frustrated about trying to navigate this space alone? No, I think I'm, I'm an engineer and I think I love learning how things work. Yeah. And so for me, it was actually like, it, it wasn't, the learning process wasn't frustrating. Um, I love I love learning. It's probably my greatest strength is my ability to like learn independently in unstructured environments. It's how I graduated at age 15 in high school. I was actually homeschooled for a few years. I've done like public schools, private schools, homeschooling. And so like I'm a really flexible learner and I I just genuinely enjoy learning. And so for me, like it was almost like I got drawn in and just like started geeking out and I'm reading about like muscle fibers and eccentric overload and like (laughs) on all on all these these things. And and the more I'm learning about it, the more I'm realizing how like well, there's all this science that says you can do all these things, but then you go into a weight room and you just have dumb weights who can't do the things that like the research says. And so by the time I like started Tonal, I basically knew like how much opportunity was missing already. Um, and and I got to, and that's one of the things that got me really excited about Tonal is like we get to close the gap. Like people who exercise on Tonal, um, they get 25% stronger in the first 90 days, right? Hmm. Um, we're running some research studies right now where like the data isn't out right now, but we actually can show 
that people who work out on tonal gain muscle faster um, than people who work out the tra traditional way. Um, why? Making better decisions, doing more advanced things um, based on actual science and research. And, uh, you know, and, and that's like, who has time? Why waste time? Why waste a minute in the gym? Why waste a rep? Yeah. Oh, right. why waste a rep? Such a profound question. I mean, the thing that's interesting here is I would take a step back and ask myself, and again, like we're talking about means, right? So someone could buy a tonal or you could decide like, okay, I am going to work with this one specific trainer. But if you're going to pay $150, $200 a session with this one trainer, the question is, are you going to want to meet with them as regularly as you would be using a tonal that's already in your living room? Does the per session cost create a disincentive to, to working out more? Um, that's one question. The other question is, is it is it actually affordable? Like I did the math once, and if we took every personal trainer in the country and said you're working full time, um, we'd have enough capacity to train 0.3 percent of the U.S. population. Whoa! And so, so there aren't very, so you start with something that's already not accessible. You ask people today, like, do you want to strength? Do you think strength training is important? Yes. Do you want a personal trainer? I mean, in theory, yes, but they're expensive. It's inconvenient. Um, it's intimidating, like it's surprising how many people are too intimidated to get a personal trainer. And like mm -hmm. we, we solve all those problems and, you know, it's a fixed monthly, you know what the monthly cost is, you know, for our firm financing program, it's $63 a month for the hardware, $49 a month for the membership, which you add those up and it's kind of like the cost of a gym membership for your entire family or one personal training session. Mm. Uh, and you and your family can work out. It's unlimited. Right. right? Um, and, and all of that, I think just like, it's about getting people to build those habits and see those results and get that, like that habit flywheel spinning. Uh, and, and the more friction you add, whether it's finding a personal trainer, having to pay per session, um, having to like, if it's a good personal trainer, they want to meet you at 3 PM in the middle of the day. And like, I have a job, right. <laughs> and, 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 and the more you can make it easier, the more people succeed. Definitely. I want to rewind again for just a minute to talk about that waste, that weight loss phase of your life. Something that I struggled with in the years after losing weight was seeing myself as the new version of myself, so to speak, like the emotional progression that had to happen. And I would definitely say that took much longer than the physical progression. And mm. to this day, I'm still struggling with some of the issues that I have outstanding from when I was overweight. But I'm curious to know a little bit about your experience in that and how you felt like you also worked maybe on the inside to match what was happening on the outside. So do you ever, have you ever like done visualization? Like, yeah. Yeah. So for me, like the first 10 minutes of your day are by far the most, the most valuable. And, um, one of the things I, that eventually dawned on me was like, when you're working, when you're kind of like in the rat race, um, you give your best hours to work, you get up, you rush to work, you're like fighting through traffic, you rush to work. And by the time you like get home and you're beginning to think about anything about yourself, whether it's your health or what you're going to eat, or like you're already tired, you're decision fatigued, you're exhausted, and you're almost ready to go, go to bed. And if you wake up in those first 10 minutes are where you're going to you know, you're going to meditate, you're going to be thoughtful, you're going to visualize, it basically sets up the rest of the day and the rest of rest of your week. And for me, like that mental self image of like what I look like, I literally had to like reprogram the way I saw my own reflection in the mirror. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it was an it was an intentional thing. Right. Uh, and um, I had to do it. I mean, I've done it for weight loss. I've also done it as as a leader, like, I have to walk into a business and like lead 400 people, right. Uh, and I started out as like this child nerd who like, you know, high school, like this guy's a total nerd. I can't be seen anywhere around him. 
um, to like leading 400 people right now on a company that's like doubling your, you're going to be like 800 in like another 10 months. Um, and, and yeah, it takes, it takes that practice of being, of seeing yourself that way. Wow. What a powerful visualization, literally. I mean, I think of how it's got to feel for you to stand up in front of all these people. And at first you're literally feeling like the kid that's like walking onto college campus and being like, yes, I'm actually 18, but in theory, I am, <laughs> I am not at all. <laughs> right. totally. And that's like, you know, I, we all struggle with that. I think it's that classic imposter syndrome moment. It's like, should I be here? What's going on? But the reality is like, in this moment now, leading this company, obviously you've worked your butt off to be where you are. And just like with the weight loss, it's like you worked really hard putting in all those hours in the gym and making smart diet decisions that now or back then anyway, you owed it to yourself. And I felt like I have owed it to myself to like get the rest of me to catch up to all of that hard work. Yeah, it's work every day, just working on your yourself, working on your psychology. Um, at the executive level, I'm like, I'm in an executive coaching program for CEOs, and I have a one-on-one -on -one executive coach who, who I work with. Um, and, and I think in real life, like ideally, yeah, if everyone could have a personal trainer, if everyone would have a coach, it'd be incredible. It just turns out that's not scalable. It's not practical. It's not pragmatic. And so when we at Tonal set off to build a personal trainer for the home, like that's why we did it, because we knew that this was, this could be potentially the unlock. So you start working out twice a day. You make really smart eating decisions over nine months, which is so impressive. And I think, again, we need to make note that you decide to make this like your full-time thing. So for someone else, this might not be something that's in your wheelhouse, and that's totally okay. I would also make sure that we advise anyone who's interested in losing weight on their own. They definitely seek out counsel from a registered dietitian or perhaps your physician to get a program or a concepted plan that works best for you. Now that all those things are kind of in the air here, for you, that was a nine-month period. And then when in that period do you start to really think about what will become tonal? So I started out doing a pretty, pretty broad set of activities, right? And I just like, I'm just going to do something active twice a day. I could start out on a bike or an elliptical. And then in the afternoon, I'd pick a big hill in San Francisco and walk up it, right? And, and as I progressed, my routine became more and more structured and more and more centered around, around strength training. So towards the end of this period, now, now I'm in a period where like strength training is the majority of what I'm doing um, because I recognize the benefits of strength training. You're building muscle. It's raising your basal metabolic rate. And, you know, the, the more you work out, the more muscle you add, the more your BMR goes up as opposed to working at doing a lot of cardio under caloric restriction, actually losing muscle and having lowering your BMR rates. It's, it's, so it's becoming this, this core pillar of mine. Uh, and, and I'm actually starting to think about, well, I can't like be on this like hiatus of like fitness as my full-time job forever. Like at some point I got to like go back into the workforce and I'm going to have a family at some point. Like I do now I'm going to have a family. Like I can't do all that and keep coming to the gym every morning at five or 6am. Like that's just not, not a practical way to live your life. And, and, and I, I could almost like had this fear of like everything just sliding back to where I was. Yeah. Um, and so one morning i'm sitting on a bench at the gym staring at this giant strength training machine like this big cable crossover <laughs> and i'm thinking to myself if i could just fit this in my one bedroom apartment in san francisco i could just work out every day in the morning for like literally a 30 minute routine is is almost all you need so i can just like do a 30 minute routine every single morning um and then hop in the shower and head to work like that would be amazing uh, and, and I, I realized in that moment, the reason this machine was so big and I was never going to be able to fit it into my apartment is because it runs on these big metal plates and gravity and takes up all the space and it's loud and it's clanky. Um, and if I could just generate force a different way, 
And I thought about it and I'm like, electricity, like we propel cars and trains with electricity. Like it's a powerful force. If I could generate force with electricity, I could shrink this thing down and get it into my one bedroom apartment. And once it's running on electricity and it's kind of by definition computerized and you can make it smart and responsive and you actually have data. And and going back to all that research I'd been reading about for like the last many months and I, oh, you, wow, you could do eccentric overlay. You could build a spotter into this. You could like make better decisions. You could... And, and it just like, I could almost see all the dominoes in my head falling in terms of like what this could be. And I was so excited. I went home and ordered parts and, <laughs> uh, and, and just started building prototypes, like literally strapped to my kitchen counter. Oh my uh, gosh. And, and off to the races. Literally, like there are just so few humans in the world that operate the way that you operate. Just it's, it's really special because someone or many would have an idea like that without even like anywhere near the kind of knowledge that you had to actually execute on this. But I think so many of us, we, we have these big ideas and we get intimidated or scared or we think like, but like, that's just kind of silly or, or don't know how to kind of get out of our own way. Right. So what do you think, or where do you think that you learned how to get out of your own way? Where do you think that initiative came from? Was that self-taught or was that something that you were shown over time as you were growing up? Well, I think it was, it was partially the way I was raised. So my parents always had businesses like my my dad was a professor at the university of michigan my mom had a phd she like invented color radar and like the some of the fundamental equations behind like global positioning so like like they're <laughs> really what kind of family so they're, they're like they're like really really and so it's really smart and they always had like side business so i've been around business like my entire life like never anything the size of tone like always like yeah. businesses that you could squarely say were like side hustles uh-huh. my parents were selling pcs out of their basement oh. and i was like their chief technician like they'd sell a pc and i'd have to like assemble it right how cute uh, don't tell people about the child labor i was like 10, <laughs> 10 at the time when i was 13 we had sold a pc to a local bookstore and they wanted an inventory management system for the books and i like i volunteered to write it for them so i like wrote them a an inventory management system and I learned a lot about products because I remember like we like I went and installed this thing and I was all proud. And next day they call me up and they're like, hey, Ali, how'd you do a book return? And I'm like, you never said anything about returns. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do returns? <laughs> and so like, you know, you, you learn. And so you make mistakes and you learn along the way. And then and then I'm homeschooled. And like when you're homeschooled, like my mom hands me a calculus textbook and, you know, and you just kind of got to figure it out on your own. And maybe once in a while you could you can ask a question, but you learn to like if knowledge is a brick wall, you're building a wall where you have to be perfectly comfortable that there are bricks missing all over the place and you're just going to come in and fill them in later. And so this idea of like, you have this big daunting task, but you're like, I'll just chip away at it. That's just the way I've kind of been trained my whole life. And the idea of business never, never scared me. And so I think I was just like wired for it. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you were definitely wired for it. I also would love if you have any advice for individuals who have problems getting out of their own way for someone who maybe is thinking about the next big thing, or they maybe just on a day to day level, have some trouble executing, so to speak, what do you tell them? I think it really differs from person person to person. But I think one example I can think of is I remember, I had someone who was a senior in college come to me and once asked me a question like, Helly, how'd you get over the, the risk of, you know, starting a company? And I looked at them and I'm like, like, look, you're, you're pretty blessed. Like you, 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 you have a college degree from a good school. You have like no cost structure, right? Like, what are you scared of? Like, what's going to happen? Like, you're probably not going to end up homeless. You're not going to die. Like, what's the worst thing that could, that could actually happen to you? And I think when you face your, that fear of like, 
what could go wrong here um, and realize that like the worst case scenario actually isn't that bad. Um, and then you start thinking about what the best case scenario looks like and how amazing that could be. Then you're like, I'd be crazy not to do this. Right. And I've, I've had this conversation with like entrepreneurs who are like trying to make the decision to take the leap. I've had this conversation with executives where like they're like this really comfortable, high paying job. Um, and you're talking to them about like, hey, you want to come to a company that we're going to have to work your butt off. It's growing way faster. It's not going to be as comfortable, um, but you get to change the world and you're probably going to make a bunch of bunch of money along the way, too. Um, and convincing them to take that leap. And it's the old like Steve Jobs sugar water speech. I don't know if you know what I'm talking yep. about. But yeah, it's it's that speech, right? For a lot of people. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Daily Harvest. For me, this time of year usually means getting back into a busier schedule. And while I am obsessed with food. When I am swamped, thinking about what's for lunch, let alone finding the time to grocery shop, it feels almost impossible. Thanks to Daily Harvest, my freezer is always stocked with delicious options that are ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It takes only minutes to prepare and never uses things like preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. And that goes for all of their products. Now, my personal Daily Harvest fall favorites, the broccoli and cheese harvest bowl, the artichoke and spinach flatbread, absolutely delicious. And again, so simple to make in a flash. Enjoy this time of year even more like I do with Daily Harvest. Head on over to dailyharvest.com and enter code HURDLE25 to get $25 off your first box. Again, that is code HURDLE25 for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. Also want to give some love to my sponsor at Element. Element is a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. In terms of formulation and ingredients, Element keeps it simple, giving the perfect ratio of electrolytes while cutting out sugar, fillers, gluten, and other dodgy ingredients. I personally love to recharge with a serving of their watermelon salt flavor. I literally shook up a bottle for my bike ride this morning. But they also have so many other amazing, delicious flavors, ranging from citrus, raspberry, and orange, to chocolate, and even unflavored, if that's your thing. The good news is that you can try so many of their flavors with this special offer for Hurdle listeners. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free element sample pack today, including two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored. You only pay $5 for shipping. Again, this is only for Hurdle listeners. Head on over to drinkelement.com slash hurdle and get your free sample pack today. I literally was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday who said, I don't know if I'm ready for X opportunity. And I said, are you ever ready? Are you ever truly ready to make a massive change? Sometimes you may feel as though you need a change, but I don't necessarily think that means that this individual is ready to 100% dive in face first. You're, you're never ready. You're never ready to have kids. You're never ready. I mean, I still remember like we were like on our way to the hospital and like, 
you know, I was like, I don't think we're ready. I'm like, I'm like, no one's ever ready. Right? <laughs> it's a little late for that, bud. It, but I know exactly. <laughs> exactly but, but that's the point. You like for all the big things we do in your in our lives, we're never ready. And you know what? You just figure it out along the way. You right? figure it out along the way. That's I, like that's a human condition. Yes. Yes, it is the human condition. And then the the next step to kind of understanding that human condition is understanding that these hurdles or quote unquote, as some may perceive them, failures, they have opportunities to teach us something. So rather than getting down on yourself, I mean, no one works really hard for something not to go as they had hoped or as they had planned, but rather than getting down on yourself, taking a second to step back, experience those emotions and then do something with that learning is what makes you be able to show up to the next hurdle and actually get over it with some more confidence. You know, that actually reminds me of a, of a moment I had. So Tonal wasn't actually my first startup. I actually co-founded another company called Panel Logic, like back in 2006. So about call it nine, nine years before Tonal, I, I started this other, this other company with a friend and I, um, and that company like got a lot of wars and we did some some good stuff for a few years but it ultimately didn't go anywhere we sold it to Samsung and that's how I ended up ended up at Samsung but the day I quit my job um, to go do that startup uh, there's this friend I had who was like this kind of like wise like you know godfather type figure in my life and he looked at me and he said Ali I know this is an odd thing to say to someone who just became unemployed um, but I promise you that the net present value of your lifetime net worth just went up and I'm like, Mike, what a that, sentence. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, um, Mike, that's an odd thing to say. And he's like, he's like, Ali, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you're going to learn a lot. And that was his whole point. That was the whole point. That was the whole point. Okay. So back to Tonal. Yeah. You uh, fathom and start building things in your home with the pieces that you ordered off the internet. <laughs> Talk to me about how that experience started to play out. Well, when you're building a company and like going back to your, your question about like what you say to entrepreneurs. Um, you got to realize a startup is a big ball of risk. Like it's this massive ball of like all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. And what you want to do is basically like cleave off the biggest piece of risk that you can. Uh, and with Tonal, like the first biggest piece of risk is like, can you really use electricity to generate something that feels just like a real weight machine? Um, and even today, like people like with all the success we've had, people still walk into our showrooms and they do a bicep curl. and They're like, wow, this thing feels amazing. It feels just like a real weight machine, but better. And, and it's, it's, it's like, it's hard to comprehend. It's like magical. Like, it's like, there's an element of disbelief of like, I can't believe this is working. Yeah. And I had to prove that to myself. I had to prove that you could actually do this. And so that's what I was trying to prototype something that like could generate resistance using electricity, but felt like a real weight machine. Uh, and that took several iterations, of course, but the first one that I built, which took, took a few months and I showed to those very first investors who like gave me the very first dollars to like go pursue the next prototype and the prototype after that, um, that one worked just well enough that you could believe that it was possible. It didn't work great, mm -hmm. but it worked just well enough that you could believe that it was possible. Um, and then built that, and then I built an even better one, and then I built a machine that could actually, well, by, by this point, I actually added a team, and so that they built a machine that you could actually do a full body workout on. And I mm -hmm. remember at the time that the challenge was, it was called the birthday challenge. Like for Ali's birthday, he wants to never go to the gym ever again. So let's build the version of Tonal with movable arms and all this stuff that replaces every machine at the gym. And we worked on this for months. Like I, I, I like it was me and a few other, other folks. And we stood in machine shops for months, just building prototypes and making things. And uh, it was, I, I miss those days. I miss I, like those early days. So <laughs> the fun. early, like super communal days. Also, yeah. I mean, you said something here that I think is really important is that it starts with you, right? Like you just said in 
carving away at the ball of risk that you had to get to a point where you believed that what you thought about was actually possible. And I think oftentimes we get these big ideas and we almost try to like skip ahead from that step, right? Like we go ahead of ourselves and are immediately like trying to prove this thing that we thought about to so many other people before really taking the time to do that self-inquiry. It's kind of like setting boundaries in that when you set boundaries, you need to practice like setting boundaries with yourself and executing like on your own time before you can really execute them and set them with other people. Like I need to set a boundary for myself that like I'm not going to come into the office after 730 at night during the week. If I'm not good at keeping that boundary for myself, then how am I going to start executing with everybody else? So for you here, it sounded like you were like, all right, I'm really going to show myself that I can make this thing and I'm going to believe this thing and I'm going to play with this thing. And then I'll introduce it to other people. So there's this thing I often say, which is like, there's a difference between having thick skin and a thick head. And what I mean by that is how many people have worked on a really terrible startup idea for far too long, right? And so in some ways, like if you really believe your time is the most valuable thing in the world, you need to prove to yourself that this is worth your time. And you have to be willing to kill your own startup in the early days so that you don't go waste years of your life pursuing something that that is ultimately not going to go anywhere. Um, and by the way, not just your life, but like the people you hire and your investors money. And, and so like in some ways, like you have to be your own harshest critic. And that takes like a lot of intellectual honesty and self-reflection. Um, and that's where I think like if you have a thick head and just keep like charging forward and ignoring all the signs, and ignoring all the feedback, um, you know, that that's not good. The other thing that's not good is not having thick skin where like, like it is hard and you will hear a lot of negative things that aren't true. Um, and being able to distinguish between those two things and like having the conviction and the vision to know where you can go with this, but also not like drinking your own Kool-Aid and just wasting everyone's time and money doing something is just not worth it. And so you're, you're, you're looking for that balance always in the, in the early days. I think it's hard sometimes because in almost everything in life, there are more naysayers than there are hype men, right? So how do you know when you're being one or the other sometimes? Like, how do you know if you're just being thick, like thick skinned or if you're like, you need to be a realist and kind of let it go? Well, I think you're always asking yourself the question, like for me, like the question I asked myself is like, is this thick skin or is this a thick head? Right. And that, <laughs> that was my litmus test. Maybe that's not going to work, work for, for everyone. But um, a lot of times, you know, you know, like we, the way we do it with our teams today is like we set, we set milestones and objectives ahead of time. So you're not going to like get to the finish line and be like, let's decide now if that worked. Right. You, you start off from the beginning and saying like, when we get to the finish line, how are we going to decide? whether or not this works. And you, you you almost start from that place in the very beginning so that when you get there, you you already know whether or not you failed or succeeded as opposed to getting there and you're always talking yourself into like, yeah, that was that was good. And it's like, no, that is totally not what you're what you're aiming for. And you missed the mark and you either need to like rethink it and course correct or you need to go in a different direction. And and being clear with yourself every step of the way, I think is, is super, super important. I also would say that I think it's about setting multiple finish lines, right? Like it's oh. not just like you didn't, you know, when you started creating this machine, think about, or maybe you did, but I'm assuming you weren't thinking of what it is now. There were so many finish lines you had to get to, to get to this current finish line, which is really just, you know, the, I don't know, the 5k of the marathon totally. at this point. Yeah, you have... I mean, look, you, you can always have, like, you have to have this long-term vision of this, what this could be one day. You have to have that, um, but you have to have milestones along the way and you have to have a mission that's much narrower than 
than your vision. So um, here's a classic example. So my, Microsoft, right? Their vision was a PC on every desk. Like we're literally, this thing is going to replace everything you do in the office, right? Mm. But what did they started with? They started with word processing. We're just going to replace the typewriter. They weren't talking about email. They weren't talking about PowerPoint. They weren't talking about Excel. And if on day one, they're like, we're going to go build email and Excel and like they wouldn't have accomplished anything. And so you got to start with like, to your point, like these bite-sized pieces and things you know you can accomplish in a reasonable amount of time. And your mission will expand over time. But that vision on day one, it never has to change. Dream big. Go ahead. Like that's what's going to get you out of bed every day. That's what's going to bring investors to the table. You need that because it, it motivates you and motivates people. Um, it reminds you like why we're all here. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, those milestones are so, so important. Side tangent, side note, mm -hmm. side question, deviating a little bit. Mm -hmm. Who inspires you? Where do you find your motivation from? Because I'm sure aside from the people at your company, like your knowledge, the insights that you have are super inspiring to a lot of people that connect with you. I, I read a lot, right? And so for me, like, I'm not going to say there's like one specific person that yeah. I, get, I get inspiration from, but I'm kind of a student of, like, I'm just so curious about how the world works and how others have succeeded. And like, I we watched Steve Jobs is like, you know, speeches and his keynotes and you read Jeff Bezos's like annual letter to the shareholders every year. It's like mandatory reading material. And you read books like some of the early books that like I was reading around the time I started Tonal was like the Jim Collins series of books, like Great by Choice, for example. Uh, Guy Kawasaki wrote a book called The Art of the Start, about like what it's like to really start a startup. And it's it's a super pragmatic advice of like what it's what it's really like. But when you start seeing the world through the eyes of people who who don't think through limits and boundaries, um, you begin to slowly rewire the way you see the world. Um, and I think that's where my, you know, my inspiration comes from, it's just from watching, watching other people. Um, and it's, it's oftentimes from from my peers. Um, so like, I was at a conference last week, um, for the CEOs of startups. And like, this is, I think there's like about 90 CEOs in the room. 20 of them were unicorns, so companies valued at over a billion dollars. Five of them were CEOs who'd recently IPO their businesses. And again, like these weren't all consumer businesses. They were all, a lot of them were very, very different types of businesses, but we're sitting in a room and we're all talking about, like we're like going through these workshops on the exact same um, like challenges that we're facing. Like, what is it like to scale a team? How do you manage cultures through a global pandemic? Um, what happens with, with remote work? How, how do you keep how do you inspire your leaders to lead? Because the dirty, like the, the little secret of being a CEO is you actually do nothing, but you're responsible for everything. So if we're doing nothing, well, how are we constantly like challenging our leadership team to go push harder and, and, and upgrade themselves and their own abilities. And so you look around you and like you're surrounded or you have access to be surrounded by people who are facing the same challenges that you are. And they inspire you like, well, if he can do that and he can do that, I, I need to go do those things too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you just oftentimes it's maybe it's your peers more than anything. Right. I'm making mental notes for after we're done recording to ask you more about maybe who was in that room and if there's anyone that I should be, oh, oh, sure. if I should be talking to. I think that question, who inspires you, is actually a really important question. And if I'm being totally candid, about three or four years ago, someone asked me that and I felt as though I didn't really have... Uh, and obviously good is interpretive, but I don't have a good answer. And it made me do some personal inquiry for myself, asking myself, 
wh- what was I exposing myself to? Who was I talking to? Uh, who could I learn from? Why wasn't I being fully present in a lot of these situations? And where was my mind when I had the opportunity to, to learn and connect with these individuals and pull this inspiration? So for anyone listening, I would definitely say uh, to ask yourself that question as well, because I think it's really, it's really, really valuable. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I'm, okay, I'm going to ask you the question. Who inspires you? So, I mean, thank you. I kind of I t- teed this up for myself. I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, beyond my family, which is probably my immediate source of inspiration and the Hurdle community, which they, I get so many DMs and I'm so grateful for them from all the community members and the hurdlers that say thank you to me, but really being able to show up for them and create this content and do what I love and give back. Um, and I think that's something that you can relate to as well as is a really special opportunity. I'm actually speaking to someone this Friday who really inspires me and that is Gretchen Rubin. So I am just so motivated by her perseverance and her outlook. And I think that that certainly is the through line for me and the people that inspire me. It's what is it that they are bringing to the table in terms of their resiliency? I think stories of resiliency and like persistence, just, I mean, as one would expect with someone who has a podcast called Hurdle, uh, certainly really resonate with me. And so uh, individuals who just use both their perseverance and their talents to do good in this world, like super resonant with me. So uh, someone like Angela Duckworth, like I'm sure you've read Grit. Uh, what an amazing book. I go to that, back to that time and time again. So again, like, I mean, we're sitting next to a bookshelf that has obscene amounts of literature that I literally pick up almost on the regular. But uh, for me, again, what am I exposing myself to? Who am I looking to for advice? And in that advice, am I feeling like I'm present in learning it and then applying it is kind of what I think about when I look to who inspires me. Amazing. I mean, I, I actually, I want to revise my answer, maybe just add something or a I'll cha- allow a it. challenge. I'll allow it. A challenge for for the listeners here. Yeah, my assertion is, if you if you're looking for it, there's literally inspiration everywhere. Um, everywhere you look, every person you meet can inspire you if you're if you're looking for it. I love that. Great, great, uh, great amendment. Thank you. <laughs> little asterisk. A little asterisk. Okay, so let's rewind again. We're like going in some circles, but I feel like they all kind of go together. I really like the way that this is going. So. You are working with a team and the team has the Ali's birthday mission and they succeed Yeah, on the mission. Totally. And when would you say, timeline-wise, you had the first iteration of Tonal that you really felt was great to bring to market? So first iteration of Tonal, that, that one that I said was you know, proved it wasn't great, that raises a quarter million dollars of, of investment, of investor money. Second iteration built raises another million birthday challenge you know that one is is incredible we show it to a bunch of like personal trainers in town they're like losing their minds right we build two more rent an apartment south of market in san francisco hand keys out to a dozen people and basically tell them you can go work out whenever you want um but we're going to film it and we're going to interview you once a week and they do this for about three months and like we have this first cohort of people of users using the product um we start raising a Series A, and you know, by the end of that year, um, we've raised an eleven million dollar Series A. And I would say that was like that one was not something you could take to market because it looked like it was built in a machine shop. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't look like a like a consumer product. But that was when we were really off to the races. And from there, we started working on like one hundred percent of our focus was on productization, um, and it was like beginning to hire more of the team, like using them, like hire more of the team, um, you know. Productize it, 
find a contract manufacturer, spin up the manufacturing lines. Um, and all in all, from the very moment I like went home and ordered those first parts to when the product went out to market was three and a half years of product and technology development, over two years of beta trials, over one year of in-home beta trials, 25 homes, 50 users with tonals in their homes for an entire year. Like all that feedback, iterating and refining the product experience. Um, over 45 patents filed to date. Wow. Some, some of the most foundational patents in, in, in the industry when it comes to things like digital weights. I feel like a question that people wonder, but no one ever asks, is when you say that you raised, you raised 11, mil, 11 million in your Series A. So when someone says we raised $11 million in our Series A, besides more research and building and paying employees, like what does that kind of money go to? Well, 100% of it goes into the company right. for starters. Right? Yeah. So, um, so like the first thing it goes to is up until that point, like you and all the employees around you are largely being paid in equity. Like you're, here, you can have stock and you can wallpaper your room with it, but, but, <laughs> but you're not, no one's getting a real salary. And so when you actually raise a real like, round like that, that's when you start paying people market rate salaries. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when you really start building a team. So like, I think I would say of that $11 million, I'd say a good like 75% of it went to payroll. It's so interesting right? to hear that, right? Because someone's next question would be like, wow, like you really had to be a great sales guy to convince people that this thing that you were so firm was going to be the thing is the thing that they should dedicate their time to without being able to, I mean, we talked about before being a father providing for your family. And these people are just like coming in on blind faith and equity that they're going to be so good in just a matter of time. Well, I mean, it goes back to the point we were talking about earlier that you, you pointed out, which is like, if I can't even sell it to myself, how yeah. am I going to sell it to anyone else? And so you got like you got to just scrutinize it and make sure it's 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 bulletproof. And look, I, even before that, even before the eleven million dollars, like that first two hundred fifty thousand dollar check, that first million dollar check, like other entrepreneurs have asked me, like Ali, how'd you raise that first money? Like the first per how'd you raise? And I'm like, you have to realize that it is an irrational decision to give an entrepreneur two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That is one hundred percent an irrational emotional decision. And those first investors are investing on passion. Those first employees are joining on passion. They're passionate about what you're working on, and they're fully comfortable signing up for the idea that, you know, I might walk away a year later with maybe just enough money to have like made most of my rent and a ton of experience. Yeah. And that's what they're looking for. I love that. Right? And I do want to talk just a second about strength training specifically, because I think for some, as you mentioned, you looked over at that area at the gym and you saw all the trainers by the strength equipment. And many of us have been in that scenario, but because it feels so foreign, it's hard to get into. I know you have so much research on why incorporating strength training can be important. Uh, getting on board with strength training can really be life-changing. Why don't we just talk a little bit about that? Well, there's a lot to say, but let me just ask you one question. Okay. If you are 40 years old and you're going to do one thing for the rest of your life into old age and you have to choose between strength training and cardio, which one would you do? I mean, I hate to say this, but like I'm going to choose cardio. Physiologically, <laughs> wrong answer. Sorry. So, 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 so in, rea like in reality, right? So you strength train, you build muscle instead of losing muscle as you age. Um, it strengthens your bones. It strengthens your, your connective tissue. And if you're doing strength training properly, you're pairing it with mobility work. So you're building muscle, but you're also maintaining flexibility. Having muscle is important to, to moving, moving properly. Moving properly is important into preventing injury. Um, if you think about like the leading cause of death in elderly women, just, just as an example, is hip fracture. 
right? It's actually the complications from the hip surgery, but, but like, you know, as you get older, right, you want to keep strong bones. You want to keep your strength up. You want strong connective tissue. You want flexibility. Um, and you want to maintain muscle mass so that you can move properly. And, and if what you do is a lot of cardio, what you're actually doing is, um, in many cases, you're metabolizing muscle, especially if you're not, if you're on some sort of caloric restriction. Um, and two is you're putting a lot of mileage and wear and tear on your body. Mm-hmm. So look, cardio is important. I do cardio. I do a little bit of cardio, but strength training is my pillar. And it is the thing I'm going to do until the day I die. Why? It's probably the best way to add years to my life. What's the timeline from, okay, we have this thing that looks like it was built in a computer lab till when we have something that looks like I want to hang it in my wall in my living room? It was about six months before you had something that could go in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, six months later, we started putting them in people's homes. A year later, we started like actually selling the product um, on the internet and opened up our showroom. Give me a, what year is this? So um, we launched... Like we launched everything, big press announcement, you know, website is live. We're no longer like, we were like in this wind, like this building with like fogged out windows and like in this alley in San Francisco. <laughs> and like, we invited like professional, like Tony Gonzalez or like, Hey Tony, when you get to San Francisco, walk down this aisle to the alley, like you're going to find a green building with fogged out windows and a purple door, knock on the door and we'll let you in. Right. Like, Say the password. Super, super shady. And so like, so this was like a big reveal, like it was August, 2018. Um, we started delivering product nationwide, uh, March of 2019. Got it. Got right. it. Wow. Okay. And I mean, now we're here in 2021 and so much has even happened since then. How yeah. do you feel now? I mean, I mentioned going into the fifth Avenue showroom. I know, uh, you know, you probably weren't thinking about that back in 2019. I mean, it's, um, it's surreal. Like that showroom is beautiful. Stunning. Like, it is, it is, it is beautiful, beautiful show. It's surreal to walk into that. And I was walking, talking to my wife after like walking, seeing it for the first time. And she said, how is it? I'm like, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's surreal. And she's like, how's it surreal for you? Didn't you do this? I'm like, no, I like knocked over the first domino. And then like, we now have hundreds of people who, who go do this stuff. And it's just, it's amazing to watch what, what, what these teams are you know, are do it's it's inspirational. It's inspiring. Yeah, no, it's inspiring. <laughs> right? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it's that first step that you think about whether it was in your weight loss journey or in building this company that almost takes the most courage, right? Like you needed to take that first step or knock over that first domino so that you could get to this place that you didn't even dream of now. Yeah, and it it the courage never never stops, right? Um in some ways, CEO is the easiest job in the company because you literally have to do nothing, right? Um, in some ways, it's the hardest job because um, all the hardest problems come to you. Like, like by the time you're looking at something, like there's like 12 other people who've been like, I don't know, ask, <laughs> ask someone else, and 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 it ends up on your on your desk on your plate right. to go solve these like really really big big challenges. And so it it takes courage to every single day know that you know this thing we're working on is is so so worth every challenge we're going to face and to turn around and like take all the inspiration that you're like we're, we're getting inspired from our teams we're getting inspired from our members we're getting inspired from from everywhere but then to turn around and constantly re-inspire your teams to like push through these really really hard challenging things like opening up showrooms during a global pandemic shipping product across the world when like 
like literally we have a global semiconductor shortage. We have global logistics meltdowns. Like we've chartered full aircrafts just full of tunnels just to get tunnels here faster. These aren't easy things to, you know, to, to do. Uh, and, and it's, it's a, it, it takes so much courage takes a lot of courage. You have a lot of uh, big name athletes that are using your product. You also have some really awesome big names when it comes to your investors. For any of those individuals, do you remember someone in particular that made you feel like really a little bit starstruck the first time that you came into contact with them? I met, I've met a lot of, a lot of athletes. I think you know, when you said the question, two, two moments popped into my head. The first one is Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. Right? So so he like he's in our office. I demo this product, uh, and he like he's he's using it for like ten minutes, and he's like, "This is amazing. I'm in." And he's like, "Ali, let's chat, right?" And we walk into a conference room, and he looks at me, and he's like, "Ali, are you are you going to are you going to succeed at this?" And I looked at him, and I gave him the typical like engineer answer. I'm like, "Well, you know, it's a startup. There's a bunch of risks, blah blah blah, but these are all the reasons why I believe it's going to be successful." Um, and he looked at me and he said, Ali, are you going to succeed at this? And I realized that he wasn't testing my ability to assess risk. He was testing my conviction. And I'm like, hell yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think that like, I never forget that moment because I Special. think there's, there's a difference between being an operator, right? Where you're running a business and you can't be naive and you can't ignore risk and you have to like make sure everything's going to go well. Um, and being, being a leader where sometimes people just need to like be reassured that everything's going to be okay. Right. Because yeah. again, the hardest things, they end up on your desk. Right. Yeah. So, th so that was one, one moment that really, really stuck with me. Another one was just the moment we realized Steph Curry was using our product <laughs> and like, he bought the product under a pseudonym. We delivered to him. We had no idea it was him. And then the pandemic starts. And then Aisha posts on Instagram, a little video clip of her doing a work, doing a workout with Steph and it's on the tonal. <laughs> and she like she just like it's this quick pan and she she's like panning around her gym and we're like they're standing in front of the tonal like with the tonal bench and the tonal machine there and they're doing their workout together because we have this partner mode where you can do workouts together yeah and we're like you know oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> and and that, that was that was another uh, uh, another moment and like we have dozens of athletes yeah every time you meet them it's just they're they're inspiring because. I think we take for granted, like we think they're famous, but I think we take for granted how much hard work it actually takes to achieve what they have achieved. Yeah. Right. Another person who's inspired me a lot is like Ryan Neese. He runs Next Play Capital, but also a former NFL player, but he's transitioned to like business and finance and helping, helping athletes invest their money. But um, he's really connected the dots for me for why so many professional athletes then become business leaders. Because it turns out it's the mental strength that allows you to succeed as a professional athlete. It's not always purely physical. A lot of it's mental. It's focus under pressure um, that then helps you transition into business and how many yeah. have made that transition. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, definitely. I can't even imagine like how giddy I feel giddy when I like see a repost from someone that I admire of the show on Instagram. So nevertheless, having a product in their home, it's really, it's really an awesome, an awesome thing to see. I'm sure we talked about being the head of a company that's, you know, 400 employees now soon to be 800 employees within just a matter of months. Uh, they look to you and they see, you know, a leader, someone who, motivates them when you look in the mirror what is it that you see looking back at you I, I do I do see I see the same thing I see a CEO I see a leader um, I see someone who's trying to build something great without limits and I also see I also see a dad mm -hmm. like I've been I have a 22 
month old child at home and believe it or not with even with everything that tonal is it's still one of like be, becoming a father is one of the most rewarding things i've experienced um in my life it's just it's incredible to like watch a human being grow up uh and and i can't explain it until until you experience it for yourself and parents won't tell you parents are like you're like if you're single and you don't have kids and you ask a parent they're like oh my god we're not sleeping it's so much work it's so different than i expected <laughs> And then you have a kid and those same parents come up to you and they're like, how is it? I'm like, it's amazing. I'm like, see, we told you. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you told me how hard it would be. And, I, and uh, the best thing I've been told about being a father is your life's about to get 10 times harder and 100 times better. Yeah. And I definitely I definitely see that when I, I look in the mirror. I think the third thing that I see is is a community builder and a community leader. And in many ways, like that's a thread that's run through my entire my entire life. Um, I've, I've built communities over and over again and and it's just something that's ingrained in like who I am and what I like to do. I can totally relate to that. I also really think of myself as a connector and a community builder, but I also reflect back on the times in my life where I felt without, right? When I was going through my weight loss journey, I felt without community. I mean, so many of the amazing tools that we have today, Tonal included, these things weren't available to us when we were going through these times. And so it's interesting to me to have such a deep-rooted desire and hope to build community to others as a reflection of times when I didn't have it at all. Yeah, it's, you know, I think the first first community I, I really kind of I stumbled into into building was San Francisco is a place where it's a very transient type of place. And when you come there, you almost like need a place to land and like a network to build. And, and that, that's where I, I started like in the early days, kind of building a community around that. And it got to the point where like, I get random emails from like people like, Hey, Ali, this person's moving to San Francisco. And that like, that was the whole email. Like, and then, like the rest was like, you know, you know what to do. You know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, yeah, I get it. I get it. Tell us, tell us about what excites you right now. Got so many things. Uh, Tonal is growing at an unprecedented rate. Like hardware companies don't normally grow 8X year over year. Your typical <laughs> hardware company grows 30% year over year. And mm -hmm. so like, uh, I think one of the things that's really, really exciting me is, is just like how fast our community is growing and how we're changing people's lives. And like you can see our member communities on Facebook, um, but also the community of employees that we've built and the leaders we've been able to bring in. When you hire someone who is capable of scaling manufacturing 10x in one year, uh, those are very special people, right? Uh, and when you get to meet those people, it's like a lot of times like we're looking around at, at our team and I'm talking about every level, like just people who are just brilliant and inspired and and uh, I'm it's almost like I, I looked at someone um, someone on my team that I feel like we're just like collecting the most amazing talent in the world and bringing it here I, um, I mean I think someone you met yesterday so Matt Bean former editor-in-chief of Men's Health magazine you know joined, joined Tonal in the past year and he's running a lot of our like physiology science and editorial and curriculum stuff and um, you know, a lot of the executives we've, we've recently joined and kind of you look at their backgrounds and some of the things that they've accomplished and what they could do for Tonal. And, and when you start thinking about not only like where we are and the trajectory we're heading on, but the team that we've we've built and what those people are capable of adding to the vision and mm -hmm. adding to our execution, um, it's like this could go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, something that's really great about the team that you're building, again, touching on going to the the store the other day or the showroom the other day and uh, a girlfriend of mine recently joined the tonal team molly ritterbeck oh yeah again <laughs> <laughs> another another amazing human but uh, what i was going to say is that 
their like passion for what you're building is so apparent the moment they start talking about your company. Like I hadn't caught up with Molly in forever and we went to go ride bikes uh, last Friday in Prospect Park. And uh, she was like just talking about what's going on and how they're so exciting and the team is growing. And I was like, wait, we haven't caught up on like where you started working. She's like, oh my God, I'm at Tonal. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't tell you this. It's so great. Like so many things. So uh, the through line from, you know, riding bikes with her to showing up at the showroom yesterday was just like these people are so excited at what you were building. And it goes back to the idea of like, how did you convince people to get on board with you before you had this amazing thing that's now in the showroom? It's like, it's the passion. It's, it's the passion. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of times it takes brilliant people. Like Molly is brilliant. Yeah. Like she's, and it takes brilliant people to be able to see not just what this is, but what this could be. Uh-huh. And, and I think when, when she joined and she was thinking about like, what you could do with an editorial budget larger than the editorial budget of your typical publication. <laughs> a lot, a lot different. It's, <laughs> Let me tell it, you. <laughs> it is, it's just like the, this, this, this guy's the limit and you, you give awesome. people the opportunity to, um, to dream and you're getting people who have vision and dream, but also can do, um, you need, you need both. And, and you just, you know, you, you, you point like, like we're replacing every, like in our world, like we, we envision a world where everyone can be their strongest and we're building a personal trainer. Right. Yeah. And you say that to them and you just let them run. Right. I love that. I love that. All right. We're homing in on the final question here. Right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice looking back on your biggest hurdle moment, which I think we can both agree is the one that changed your life and inspired you to create Tonal during that weight loss journey. You have an opportunity right now to give that guy a piece of advice. What do you tell him? You know, when people buy tonals, um, they often say, my biggest regret wasn't doing it sooner. And I almost want to look at that that person and not at the moment um, that I faced that, that big hurdle, um, but that guy five years earlier, 10 years earlier and say, what are you waiting for? Right? You, have, you have the rest of your life ahead of you um, and you're going to be, you're amazing at all these other things, but like, go work on your biggest weakness. You're not healthy. What are you waiting for? Your biggest regret is going to be not doing it sooner. So start. I'm so excited that we got to sit down today. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Ali, how do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they keep up with Tonal? Give us all of the info. So at Tonal on Instagram, that's, that's our handle at Tonal on Twitter. Tonal.com is our website. Um, those are by far the, the best ways to follow, follow Tonal. Um, I'm also at Aerady on Instagram and and Twitter. I'm not very active on social media yet. I probably <laughs> will be at some point. Uh, but right now, I'm like really busy running this business. <laughs> Can I have a chat with your executive coach about that? I know, seriously. <laughs> I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 